90.3 KRNU. This is My Mom's Mix. My name is Sam, and this is a weekly show where I sit down with my mom and or stepmom, and we walk through their lives via music. Today, we have my stepmom, Tracy. Hi. I think a really universal part of music is the fact that it impacts people growing up, specifically looking at their identities and their personalities. I agree. Absolutely. So looking at that, how would you say that music really impacted you as you were really forming your own personality and your own identity as you were growing up? Well, I I think last week we talked a lot about MTV and that kind of introduced me to a lot of uh, alternative music. I mean, they, they played the popular music that you would hear on Top 40, but they also played things like the Eurythmics, you know, of uh, I don't know how old she was when I was, you know, young, uh, but Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. It was, you know, this orange, almost crew cut lady with a beautiful voice, the voice of an angel wearing a man's suit or, you know, at least, you know, she had this butch identity. And I don't think Annie Lennox is is queer, but she she kind of used that, at least in those first you know, a few um, uh, albums, or at least the first album, for sure. I think she definitely played with that, played with gender in ways that at the time were were taboo, and especially in a popular medium. And we've talked about some other artists doing that as well. You know, David Bowie and Prince and... Oh, Boy George. Well, and Elton John. It's yeah. like people were doing it, but it was... I think it, I would say it played a profound role on how that kind of moved forward in the entertainment industry. Well, and, you know, when I was in junior high, and I think Sweet Dreams Are Made of This came out in 1983, and like I said, seeing her, you know, if I had just heard the the song, I probably wouldn't have thought much of it, but seeing Annie Lennox in, you know, kind of butch presenting visual, that connected to me, even though I don't think at the time, 1983, I would have been 12 and growing up in Arkansas, even though it was in Little Rock, it was in the city. It wasn't like I was, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, but I didn't personally know any queer people.
And I think it's interesting you touch on the fact that you didn't really think about it just listening to the music. It was seeing the artist, you know, because I kind of have a similar experience here with this particular song because before you really said it, I don't think I had ever looked up and looked at what the singer looked like because my mom would sing it to us growing up. And it's like, I just kind of... Well, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, well, I just always had this association with my mom mm-hmm. in the song. So it's interesting to look at the actual artist and then looking at an artist that's crossing gender boundaries in a way that, you know, in 1983 uh, would not have made that particular artist looked at any better and, and probably really had an impact on the way that people would look at the music. Possibly. Um, you know, I, you know, everybody love the Eurythmics. I mean, not everybody. They were slightly alternative. And that kind of got me into, you know, alternative post-punk, Susie and the Banshees, um, Lords of the New Church. Uh, I'd say post-punk would probably also include like people like the Dead Milkman. But that's kind of, and that shaped my identity in junior high. I wanted, well, and my favorite Duran Duran uh band member was Nick Rhodes, who basically looked very feminine. He wore a lot of makeup, even more than the other artists in the in the band. I think when I identified with some of these artists that I guess in in the 80s, you would say kind of cross-dressed or had gender, they, they called them gender benders sometimes. At any rate, I think I, even though I wasn't sure, or I really had no idea that I was queer, but there was just something that just viscerally I identified with some of these gender bending artists. Nick Rhodes or Nicholas James Bates was actually the founding member of Duran Duran. He founded the band at 16 years old with a childhood friend named John Taylor in 1978. The experimental sense that can be heard in many of the Duran Duran songs could be attributed to Rhodes. A View to a Kill released in 1985 would become an example of a new wave of synthetic pop music. Sacred wine 
But I know you even, you've told me funny stories about like, and we we can cut this if you don't want to tell this story, but with the Wonder Woman when you're a kid, you have like all this Wonder Woman stuff and you're always like, why do I love Wonder yeah, Woman? I, yeah, I did. I loved Wonder Woman. I thought she was so cool. And it wasn't just because I wanted to be Wonder Woman. I wanted to know Wonder Woman, you know, and, and it, and that's when, gosh, I was probably under 10 when that came out, but yeah, and I always had, it was just this weird, when, and when I say no, I don't mean in the biblical sense. I was, I was too young to think of that, but I just wanted to be uh, adjacent. Let's to, be closer yeah. to Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I grew up, and I would say, you know, aside from my, you know, I wore black a lot. I was goth I didn't paint my fingernails black I wanted to shave the sides of my head but I knew my mother would kill me so I or I think I did once and she had a fit because I wanted to be more like Annie Lennox I knew I couldn't dye my hair bright orange at the time then I would definitely get killed so I did what I could and I did have kind of I'm not sure it's exactly goth but it was an alternative kind of you know, vibe that I had when I eventually got to high school. And then I would say one thing that I remember profoundly is that between my junior and senior years of high school, I was uh, invited to take a semester at Southwest Missouri State in Springfield, Missouri. I think they have renamed the college, but, and it was great. You know, I had nine to 12 weeks of summer semester there at the university and in the summer of 1988 and one thing that I had in my little dorm room was a was a radio that I listened to while I studied and one of the uh songs that was popular on one of the radio stations was Somebody Bring Me Some Water by Melissa Etheridge and this was her first hit I don't know how old she was at the time but nobody knew who she was at that time, but they they played that song actually on pretty heavy rotation. And there was something about that song that I really identified with. And I also, it was a, a two-room suite, two, two girls to the room. And I did actually notice that, you know, hey, my roommate in the other room is kind of cute. And that's when it like actually dawned on me that, you know, hey, you, you maybe, even though I'd had a high school boyfriend for two and a half, three years. Yeah, I was actually understanding my attraction to females. Well, and Bring Me Some Water from Melissa Etheridge would come out in 1988. Was that about when this had happened? Oh, yeah, it was the summer of 1988. Yeah. Tonight I feel so weak But all in love is fair I turn the cheek and I feel the slap and the sting of the foul night air And I know you're only human And I haven't got talking room But tonight while I'm making excuses Some other woman is making love to you Somebody bring me some water Can't you see I'm burning
So how, how old would you have been by then? I would have been... Early college is what you said. No, 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 no. Right? No, this I, this, I took a semester before I graduated high school. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So this was because I graduated high school in 1989. So this would have been the summer before my high school graduation. And did you give a label or a word to it at that point? Or was it just kind of something that you were knowing you had to think about for some time? Yeah, I think it was something that I knew, again, viscerally, but I didn't have a really a name for it or I didn't, I mean, I knew there were gay people and lesbian people and but it wasn't something that I realized was, hey, <laughs> I am that. There's a lot of people, especially here in Nebraska, that I think don't necessarily have some kind of distaste or dislike for queer people. Um, they, although there's plenty of people that do, but they just don't really understand or they don't even really understand how common it is because it's not close to them. Right, right. And it's the same thing. When I say I didn't know any queer people, I'm sure I did. It just, we didn't talk about that in the 80s. Not in Arkansas, that's for sure. They may have been talking about it, you know, in, in larger cities, but that's not, you know, that was that was shame. Well, it was shame. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, it just makes me think back to when I was doing that class where I was meeting, um, I took an anthropology course that was anthropology looking at um, Middle Eastern, that whole region. And my professor from UNL is in um, the Cairo American College teaching. And she would have meetings between the Egyptian students and the American students via Zoom. And it was really interesting sitting there and we were talking about the Qatar situation. Oh, with the the uh, World Cup? The World Cup. And, you know, it, essentially queer is illegal being outlawed. There. Yeah. Outlawed. Specifically looking at gay people. And it was really interesting to speak with them. And, you know, I'm in a Zoom call with, with a lot of students um, from these different regions. And they were all saying, you know, even the American students were like, you know, I'm not queer and I don't have any friends or family that are queer, but this. That was how they would always start what they would say. And and they were being supportive. Same with the Egyptian students, even. It, it really came from, and the difference was the Egyptian students really didn't have a concept, at least the students that I had met with, for understanding the, the reality of what it's like. And they were no, in no way you know, anti-queer or, or hateful or disdainful. It really sounded like they, it you was, know, one girl said, I've never met and anyone she, who was queer i don't know anybody and she does that's that's the that's the, 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 that's the heartbreaking thing well, is that she does yeah and that's how i responded i was like chances are you do but especially in other cultures it's you're you're never gonna know right it's not right it's not it's a safety concern and that's how i felt about it when i was in high school in arkansas once i did finally you know i came back after that summer and I broke up with my boyfriend. Is that why you broke up with him? It really is because I was really, you know, looking inward and I was like, you know, this, this is who I am. And it wasn't just hearing that song. It was, but it just, I think, finally resonated within me where I saw, you know, it was like the veil was lifted from my eyes and I understood who I was uh, because I knew I never really fit in. Again, the same reason I was always listening to the alternative music. That was kind of my identity. I sought out alternative music. I poo-pooed anything that was actually on Top 40. I wouldn't listen to that. Well, and we've talked about some of the Top 40 from the 80s specifically that, you know, I wonder if in hindsight, I think everybody when you're a kid, there's, there's, I did this when I was a kid. When you know, when you feel like you're different in some way, you kind of try and force that into not liking anything that's popular you're like no I can't everybody else likes that exactly and I'm 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 different different <laughs> and we've kind of talked about how some of the top 40 we've gone over I wonder if in retrospect you feel differently yeah I mean they still aren't my favorites but again kind of like the country when I hear them it still does remind me of those times so it's not that I I absolutely disdain them but when I was the moody teenager I absolutely disdained anything that was popular. If if everybody else liked it, then I hated it. And that was that was that. But I think that came from not knowing myself 
And so that was the identity I sort of crafted for myself. And then another thing is, so yeah, I get back from the the summer semester in Missouri in Springfield and I come back and, you know, I break up with my boyfriend whom I'm still Facebook friends with today. He is a super, super sweet man, but I broke his heart. Well, you guys were just kids. We were just kids, but we had been... Had you told anybody? Oh, God, no. No, this was still a secret. No one, no one knew. Uh, I didn't speak about it. I didn't didn't have a super close friend at the time that, I mean, I had my group of friends and, and my boyfriend that I hung out with all the time. Were you ever afraid that people would find out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was scared to death. What did you think would happen? Well, I mean, just like a lot of kids today, I didn't know if I wouldn't have a home. So what I did was kind of just wait it out. I figured I had one more year of high school left and then God willing and the creek don't rise, I get a scholarship to school and I can get out of town and be who, be my authentic self. I really, you know, basically I was just waiting it out to be my authentic self. I think there's a lot of kids that do that even now. Yeah. You know, and I've seen it, especially in Nebraska. You know, I've seen kids who come from other areas of Nebraska, more rural areas, and they go to UNL or UNO in these cities that are much, much I mean, bigger undisputably than, more diverse. Right, right. Um, and I'm not talking in terms of queerness, in terms of just, just about diversity. everything. There's yeah. more people. Absolutely. They find themselves... And then, you know, Spectrum, a club on campus, even has days like meetings, specifically right before breaks, that focus on what's the plan for going back home and how to deal with that. Because I didn't deal with it until after I graduated college with my family, as I think it was right around uh, uh, graduation, May of 1989, maybe a little earlier. When, and I don't know how I discovered them because they certainly weren't being played on the radio and I don't think they were really being played on MTV, but that's when I discovered the Indigo Girls. They were openly queer where Melissa Etheridge was not. And I don't know how I like identified that she, I knew she was queer when I heard that song. Uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge, you're talking about. Mel- the- Melissa Etheridge, somebody bring me some water. Somebody and, bring me some water. Yeah. And. Somehow I knew she was queer, even though she wasn't open at the time. And then a few months later, that's when I discovered the Indigo Girls. Oh, it's the song where they're talking about going to college. I got my paper and I was free. Closer to fine. So that was on there. Oh, is that closer? Closer I am to fine. Okay. (laughs) So uh, that was, that was, I think it certainly was the most popular single off of that album. I, you know, ran and I, I found out that they had uh, an album before that. I listened to all their songs. They were on heavy rotation on my Walkman because I think I still had a Walkman at the time. And because they were openly queer, they truly, you know, like really helped me understand my queerness. I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Maybe give me insight between black and white. And the best thing you ever done for me is to help me take my life less seriously. It's only life after all. Yeah. Well, darkness has a hunger that's insatiable And lightness has a call that's hard to hear And I wrap my fear around me like a blanket I sail my ship of safety till I sank it I'm crawling on your shores And I went to the doctor I went to the mountains I looked to the children I drank from the fountains There's more than one answer to these questions Pointing me in a crooked line And the less I seek my source for some definitive Closer I am to find Closer I am to find And I went to see the doctor of philosophy Poster around 
Mary or simply great movie he created my performance he said he could sit through me I spent four years prostrate to the higher mind got my paper and I was free I went to the doctor I went to the mountains I looked to the children I drank from the fountains there's more than one answer to these questions pointing me in a crooked line and the less I seek my source for some is closer I am to was Closer to Fine from the Indigo Girls on My Mom's Mix on 90.3 KRNU. My name is Sam and I'm joined by my stepmom Tracy. Were any of your friends fans of the Indigo Girls? Oh god no. Were you afraid of people finding out you listen to Indigo Girls? Probably. Probably. I mean I was kind of a loner. You know I'm not you know I'm pretty much an introvert. And it wasn't that I didn't have friends but I didn't have a whole lot of close friends until I met May. May is uh May was a uh, um, foreign exchange student from Greece, and I have always you know I was always a Europhile, and when I found out you know she was from Greece, I kind of hung out with her for a while. We became very very close, and in fact are very good friends today. And that's what from 1988 to now. What is that? 35 years. But yeah, I still you know I've I've visited her twice in Greece so far, but um. Yeah, and I still talk to her uh, over Facebook now and again. She and I became very good friends, and it it was, she didn't really like the Indigo Girls, but I Would think, you call the Indigo Girls, like, hippie-ish? It, they are kind of hippie-ish. They're, they're all about activism, and, you know, and I, and I, I, you know, became in tune with that, too. And they have, they have several songs. They really are good, but, yeah, they're, they're kind of hippie. But I think what's interesting... The Indigo Girls, I had no idea, was featured on a Pink album um, for the song Dear Mr. President. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, because I remember growing up, I really liked Pink. And I don't know. I I just always really liked Pink. Mm -hmm. I thought Pink was so cool. I mean, just like Pink was an artist for me, kind of similar to Eurythmics. Because when I was a kid, I remember seeing Pink, and Pink always kept that short hair, and Pink was always, I mean, rock. Yeah, and like and this pop. Would you say pop rock? I don't. I, I'm yeah, horrible at genres. I, I, yeah, I'd probably say pop slash rock, uh, because she's not, she's not completely poppy, but um, well, she was the only. But she's tough. She was one of the only female artists I remember, and I could be completely wrong that there's a whole bunch, but I remember on like rock band growing up, there was a lot of male artists. Oh, absolutely. Featured. Well, it's just, I guess that's how the genre goes. I know there's plenty of female artists 
doing it, but I'm not sure if they were popular enough. I don't know. And I could be wrong. There could be plenty of females. Oh, on, there's there's lots, but yeah. Like on the game specifically. Oh, yeah. What I remember was a lot of male artists. Male artists. And I sang. I didn't play. I was, I'm horrible at the drums or the <laughs> the guitar. So I would sing. I'd basically treat it like karaoke. Yeah. And they had pink. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know they had pink. Cause I, I did a couple of those, but and I don't really know, it was bad like at it. So. Rock Band 3 or something like that on the Wii. And I would sing pink. I loved, and I just thought she was, I was always so happy to have a mom. Because mom, my mom loved loves pink still oh, yeah. to this day. You know, we all went to Pink's concert. Yeah, it was that together. was, what, like three, four years ago, right before COVID? And it was the best performance I've ever seen. But I think part of it was you see... This woman who is, you know, I cut my hair short as a kid well, and it and was a big deal. In ter- I mean, not crazy, but, you know, I had family members who really didn't like that I cut my hair short. Right. And it's just hair. It's going to grow back. Well, but the thing was, was always like, oh, you look like a boy. Yeah. You know, I had friends. I had friends at school. I had family members. They didn't like that I had cut my hair short. But I just, I loved pink. And I was like, well, she's such a beautiful woman. I couldn't imagine someone trying to now nobody's gonna call pink a boy well yeah pink was so i say was like (laughs) pink is so beautiful yeah even now and i think similar to what you talk about with eurythmics it really was somebody for me growing up that i was like i want i want to be like pink pink is so strong well and i think pink even wore like a tuxedo to an one of her early Grammys. And even though Annie, I don't think Annie Lennox is queer. I don't think Pink is queer, but they still. Well, they were playing, they were doing what they wanted. Right. Right. They were crossing social boundaries that even when I was younger in the two thousands, if the boundaries and the boundaries continue to exist now, they're kind of, I would say more gray than it used to be. But even in the 2000s, it was still black and white in terms of, for a lot of things, in terms of hair, as a great example. This is girl hair. This is boy hair. And so Pink was a really wonderful artist for me to grow up with listening to. Well, and I still identify with, with a lot of Pink's music today. Well, it's interesting to see that Pink collaborated with Indigo Girls because it kind of marries... Right, because well, she's very supportive of the queer community. Well, yeah, and Dear Mr. President was kind of a a political piece, oh, obviously, yeah. towards George Bush. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, looking at war and poverty and queer rights and abortion rights and all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a very political Dear piece. Dear Mr. President, come take a walk with me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly. What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street? Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Are you proud? How do you sleep while the rest of us cry? How do you dream when a mother has no chance to say goodbye? You pay the road to hell. What kind? 
Dear Mr. President, you'd never take a walk with me. So um, you asked me if I ever told anyone, and um, I mentioned May, my friend May. And she was only at my high school for a year, and I think it was probably March or April, right before graduation. We went out to dinner, and we did things like that, which most high schoolers don't do, or at least they didn't do in 1989. And we, we did. We went out to dinner. I think I kind of had a crush on her. I didn't. I never told her that until way later. But we were sitting at an Italian restaurant having dinner, and she came out to me. And I kind of nodded my head, and she was like, what? You have, no, you have no reaction? And I was like, no, I have a reaction. And she, to this day, does not remember my saying, yeah, I don't have a big reaction because I feel the same way. And so it was like, now I knew another gay person. And it was just like, okay. And then the next time I actually spoke about it was my, the end of my freshman year in college. I lived in the dorm for a while. I, I had a roommate, but we didn't really click. I mean, we didn't argue, but we didn't click. I moved in with a friend that I met in the dorm, Amy. And Amy, I'm still friends with. And I thought, before we moved into an apartment after our freshman year, I felt like I had to tell her. And I was so upset. And it probably involved a few beers. So, yeah, and I was so upset. And and I I didn't want to tell her. And I finally told her, yeah, you know, I don't know if you want to move into an apartment with me because uh, I'm, I'm a lesbian. And I was, you know, torn up about it. And she was like, what? That's it? And why did you feel like you had to tell her? I I don't know. I just, I felt like if we were going to move into an apartment where we were depending on one another financially to, you know, pay the rent and pay the electricity. And I think we, and we were actually sharing a room still in the apartment. And I just felt like I had to tell, and we were very good friends. We had moved in to the same room in the dorm Uh, like our second semester. So we had been living together for for a semester. And I just, I felt like, again, for me at that time, being queer was shameful. So I felt like it'd be the same thing if I, I I think I felt the same way I, if, you know what, Amy, I robbed a bank. It, that's what it, you know, and I think you need to know this before we move in together. Or I'm a kleptomaniac. What well, and it had nothing to do with you thinking that she would think you were interested in her. It was just something you had been uh, like a secret that you had kept that you felt if we were going to be close enough to live together, I feel like you should know the secret about me because I'm so ashamed all I'm, the time about it. Exactly, exactly. And if and if that makes you change your mind about moving in together, I just feel like you have the right to know. And yeah, it had nothing to do with my. I, I didn't have a crush on her or anything. She was just a very good friend. So when we're getting into college, what did the music taste kind of look like then? You know, I probably, what I listened to a lot, oh, you know, I think it may have been either my freshman or sophomore year, Tori Amos. Now, she was a beautiful, beautiful voice. And she actually did a show at um, the Varsity, which is, it was a old movie theater that they had turned into a music venue in Baton Rouge because I went to LSU, go Tigers. And it was her f- debut album. And it was just Tori Amos sitting at the piano. I don't even think she had a band, but it was awesome. And Amy went to the the show with me and we both really enjoyed it. Crucify from Tori Amos released in 1992. Finger in the room, Spit in the faces, then I get afraid of what that could bring. I got a bowling ball in my stomach, I got a desert in my mouth. Figures that my courage would choose to sell out now. I've been looking for a savior in these dirty streets, looking for a savior beneath these 
also sounds appears to have this voice that kind of differs from some of the other artists we've discussed only because it's it's very feminine absolutely she also presents very feminine oh yeah for sure um you know looking at the gender binary but she was pretty hot yeah well and also her voice isn't as i think a lot of times when people hear female artists they think of demanding but she's still talking about topics that's, that are extremely political. That's what's kind of interesting. That's what I really liked about the music that Tori Amos was putting out, at least back then, because it was this lovely melodic song. But if you listen to the lyrics like I did, she was talking about subjugation and abuse and really, really hard topics that were not pretty. But her voice was and her piano playing was and her her you know songwriting was just gorgeous but she was if if you had enough integrity to just listen to the lyrics she was definitely saying something 
you know, after I discovered Annie Lennox, I think that was about the same time that uh, Culture Club and Boy George came on the scene. And boy, did he make a ruckus. George O'Dowd. He, uh, he was a big, pretty man, but apparently he didn't think he was pretty enough. And he, he did full on, I mean, basically it was drag, makeup, and hair. And even costuming. And, and he still, I think, does it. And that was another thing in, in my early years that people can do this. Yes, they're, you know, rock stars, pop stars, you know, David Bowie. and uh, But it still gave me, it still helped shape my identity. I think the first song I heard from Culture Club, oh goodness, Karma Chameleon. It wouldn't have been Karma Chameleon, although that was one of my favorite ones. And I would say that is like straight pop music. But Do you really want to hurt me? Do you really want to hurt me? That was actually the first song, I think, that released in the U.S. that became somewhat popular and that I saw on MTV. And it was awesome. I'm like, these, you know, these these men, these boys are are wearing, you know, full-on makeup. Give me a time.
right round, baby, right round, like a record, baby. Dead or alive? Dead or alive. And that was another gender-bending artist that, and again, it it may have been playing in clubs when I was young, but I, you know, I was too young to go to clubs, but that, uh, yeah, and I went from kind of post-punk into dance, and so I would get like the 12-inch remixes of some of these songs, the, the Culture Club and The Dead or Alive. I listened to Bronsky Beat, which had a very political message, uh, Small Town Boy is about a small town gay boy. And then, um, when it seems like Dead or Alive and Culture Club were both, um, British. Oh, yeah. British. Well, and so is Bronsky Beat. Well, son, I wonder, I don't know a whole lot about the British music scene of the time, but it seems like they have even David Bowie. David Bowie came out as bisexual, I think, in the late 70s. So, well, and what's interesting is they just played with gender, at least in entertainment. I'm not really sure about the political aspects of that at the time, but it seemed like they were playing with gender in ways that you didn't see as much, especially in um, the South, Louisiana or Arkansas. Yeah, I think that's true. I think they did, and probably most of it in the 70s and 80s, it was probably mostly entertainment, but at least they did kind of cross that boundary and they and I think they were they felt freer to cross that boundary than than the Americans and certainly Southerners did. Do you think that's why you I mean, you called yourself a Europhile yeah. earlier. Do you think that's part of why you were really interested in Europe? You know, I never really thought about it like that, but you're you're probably right because they were a lot more open. They were a lot more liberal in that sense, not, you know, I'm, I didn't really follow politics. I didn't know anything about, you know, who was conservative, who was liberal, but as far as that goes, but yeah, as far as, as, um, gender identity, I think they were much more liberal than we were in the States. And again, certainly much more liberal than the the Southern States. Dead or Alive was an English pop band that would release You Spin Me Round in 1984. This song would reach number one on UK charts and peak at 11 on US Billboard Hot 100. With that, this is Dead or Alive on My Mom's Mix.
Well, that song will be spinning us right on out of today's episode because it is the last song. What did you think of today's mix? You know, it really brought me back and I may have even learned a little bit about myself over this conversation, which which I think is always good. I think no one can, no one should go a day without learning something, whether it's something about the world, something about yourself, or something about someone else. You know, I also feel like I learned a lot. This episode was definitely filled with a lot of introspection. I am Sam, and I was joined by my stepmom, Tracy. My mom's mix will be back next week on 90.3 KRNU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.